everyone and welcome to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greeting citizens. We are a science fiction movie podcast. We get together every week, we've watched the movie, we talk about it, it's really that simple. This week's film is a winner of a Patreon vote every month on patreon.com slash TV. Our $5 and up patrons get to vote between four films. Uh, and this particular theme was four films that were based on books. Uh, of some kind, and the winner was Fahrenheit 451 from 1966, the uh, the adaptation by Francois Truffaut, and we're going to talk about that. We'll start spoiler free, of course, as we always do, and we'll give you we'll give you warning before we do so. So, um, uh, first things first, Tara decided to squeeze in the book. <laughs> it wasn't before... that difficult. It's a pretty short book. <laughs> yeah, but well, we were supposed to record this like four or five days ago, and Tara said, "Can we swap two recordings because?" I'm reading the book. <laughs> I okay, yeah, because I bought the book the night before we were supposed to record. <laughs> so, so yeah, so so I, the reason why I was saying this is I'm just going to I'm going to warn you now. Tara's going to be uh, in the booking. <laughs> okay, first of all, <laughs> given the material of the film and the nature of what they're talking about, I think it's appropriate that at least one of us has read it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, that wasn't a complaint or a, a critique or anything. It was just a warning to the audience. That's all. <laughs> I'm being cheeky because Tara happened to inform me that I was in the booking a lot during the Screams review of Dracula. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, what is Far and Fight? Oh, Far Far and Fight's uh, the, the 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 crossover between Far and Height and Fight Club coming soon, twenty twenty five. But Fahrenheit 451 is the temperature in which uh, paper burns. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I, I, does it mean that if you just turn up, like, just heat on its own, it'll start just catching fire? Because if you just shoot a flame at it, it's not at that temperature to begin with. It, and I don't imagine it gets to that temperature whilst the flames hit well, it. Well, I mean, the reason I say allegedly is because Bradbury, like, famously asked some fire chief what temperature uh, that that paper burns and uh -huh. the fire chief just said fahrenheit 451 and he did bother to check to see if it was legit or not because uh it sounded cool <laughs> <laughs> sounded like a pretty cool title and you know what he's right i do know that if you bake with parchment paper it does say that it's only good up to 450 degrees so maybe oh. 451 degrees is the threshold that actually, yeah, that, that lends credence to it. That makes it sound like it's accurate. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Unless whoever wrote that rule for, for parchment paper just just took it from the, the book. <laughs> Everybody's but... just following this fire chief who just winged it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's not really explaining the plot, though, which I was, was, I was trying to give the premise. <laughs> so... Well, you started insulting me. No, that was before. No, go back to it. Go, go. <laughs> Tell us the premise. Okay. Premise, it's in the future, although this is 1966 future, so it's kind of just retro looking to us now, barring one or two things. There's one thing they kind of got right, though, which I'm going to give them credit for when we talk about it. But uh, So it's set in a future where book reading is banned. Books are, are illegal, and firemen, firefighters are not there to put out fires. The fires don't exist to be put out anymore because houses are just fireproof. 
Uh, I actually like that they put that in the in the story. Like mm-hmm. someone at one, I don't know if it's in the book as well, but in the movie, he makes mm-hmm. a point of explaining. <laughs> look how smug you look there as you nodded at me. <laughs> I was just trying to be restrained in my response. I'm in the knowledge. I know this because I read the okay, book. Okay, like myself and probably 90% of other people that for some reason read the book in school and I didn't. I think we had to read Things Fall Apart instead, which was a good book. Anyway. I think some classes read Slaughterhouse-Five, but I don't, I don't think Fahrenheit 451 was ever like an option at my yeah. school. But anyway, uh, so since dystopian future, books aren't allowed, firemen are basically called upon when someone is ratted out for hiding books in their house. And they will come around, ransack your house, and burn all the books. And and not they don't take them anywhere to do it though. They, they have like a little platform they'll unload, and they'll just burn it in front of everyone. It's like a public showing of like, it's almost like in the old days, like a public hanging. It's like a public book burning. Like hey, shame, <laughs> shame the book readers, shame on them. And that's the premise. But of course, the actual plot of the the movie, um, is that our main character, who is a fireman, uh, Montag, although notably called Guy Montag, and. I don't know if the name guy, like the word, I don't know if the word guy in 1960s was like it is today, where it's, it's sort of used as a sort of general term for a man, or even just a man. I mean, it's used, you can use it for a group of people that includes everyone. But it almost, if it wasn't, it retroactively works as a kind of like a meta thing, having our main mm-hmm. character called Guy in a world mm-hmm. where everyone's supposed to not read so they don't become individuals. Our main character's called Guy. See, I don't know if Guy was used in the same way though at the time, so I don't know if that's an intentional thing. No, but just helps it age well, I guess. Yeah, so it may just be a really happy coincidence, but, uh, but hey. Um, so, but of course, our main character is a fireman who is part of the system, and of course, he's going to end up reading and kind of discovering and rebelling against uh, the society that he is in. And it's funny because I, I grew up quite digging equilibrium, <laughs> and there's a lot of a lot of this in equilibrium. <laughs> equilibrium took a lot from Far Eight Four Five One. But equilibrium is basically someone said, you know what, Fahrenheit four five one is good, but there's not enough gun kata in it. We need more gun kata. <laughs> so, <we're>... yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have Christian Bale in a trench coat doing fancy kung fu with guns in his hands, and that'll make yeah, Fahrenheit four five one better. Yeah, it sort of plays into the themes and warnings of uh, the story too, of people mm. who just like things to be more action packed and don't want things to slow down. They can only handle Fahrenheit 451 if it's a movie full of action. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's what's interesting about the, the this particular story is, is that there's a lot of other things that are still there that you might not have expected. Like, they still mm-hmm. have other forms of media and entertainment. Uh, obviously, it's highly regulated by the looks of it, and it's very, very clearly propaganda-esque and things like that. Uh, yeah. Although, one of the things that I would say about the movie is that well, it is kind of like that. It doesn't go too over the top with it either. Like, you know, because part, part of me was almost expecting like V for Vendetta style, like monologues of like, blah, 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 you know, yeah, banish think, the book readers. I think a lot of things were a bit more limited by maybe the budget of the film. Like, I would have liked to have seen the more dystopian future that was described by Bradbury in the book. <laughs> because he does describe a lot more. Like, do you remember that episode of Black Mirror with the with the dog, the mechanical dog that police dog that chases after people, and I guess it goes awry or something. I don't know. Oh, we don't me- know what happened. Metalhead. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
that's basically a thing in here too. Like the whole third act is just Montag is being chased by these mechanical dogs that never, <laughs> that like never fail, that never miss. Oh, sure. And, oh, and yeah, so that's clearly a budget thing. <laughs> that's, that's right, like, that's well, a budget thing. Well, actually, or even the world just in general, the way it's described. Like, oh, um, let me correct that. I, I don't know if budgets may be actually a, a fair thing to say in this case. That it may actually just be more, it's a 60s thing as opposed yeah, to a budget like they thing. Could, well, maybe they just didn't have the ability to, to do that, like special yeah. effects wise, without it making it look terrible. Um, and another thing is, uh, oh, what was I going to bring up? I don't think Francois Truffaut is the sort of director who wants something goofy looking in his movie. He he's he's a serious filmmaker, right? Yeah, and you know they get some things um, in there, but uh, another thing that's described is that the the walls, like there's every house now has a parlor room, which is all all the entire wall is a TV, and there's like three walls in their that's... home in the Montague house. This was actually the thing I was going to, and it's funny that it's not in the book. It's actually scaled down from the book. But bizarrely, the one thing that I think actually this movie predicts perfectly is the TVs, because yeah, when he walks into his, look, when he walks like into his house, it's, it's, it's a widescreen TV she's watching, which in 1966 yeah. would have, you know, been like, oh, what's this weird rectangle TV? This is this is weird. Right. Uh, but it, Another it thing... Oh, go accurate. ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing that's that's a really important theme um, in the book versus, and in here it's not really in it at all because I think they're just limitations, is that the world is really fast. Like, remember in, when we watched The Blob, like <laughs> the 50s Blob, the 50s or 60s? 50s. 50s Blob, yeah. And uh, like everybody with all the kids, like all they do is drive really fast and for fun. I, I think Bradbury was like, taking that aspect like all kids do now or all they care about is driving fast and everybody just drives fast all the time in fact they're so fast that like billboards have to be stretched out because otherwise they can't read them <laughs> and that's another thing like people are just everything's so fast media is so fast like you can't have a book but you can have uh, a comic book or like you can have you can't have cinema, but you can have advertising, stuff like that. So everything's yeah. really, really fast and compact, and there's no there's no time to slow down because if people slow down, they start to ask questions. Yeah, notably the comic book, you do get to see that in the movie. There's no words mm -hmm. in the comic book. It's purely the images, which as someone who actually reads comic books, I'm like, man, this would be over in like 10 seconds. Like, uh, mm -hmm. if it's just the images, you fly through it really quickly. Uh, but it's not a wrap background to kind of uh, the structure of this show. Uh, Tara, how did you feel about Fahrenheit 451? I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great, uh, but I thought it was all right. Um, there's some interesting decisions. I think it's strange that Julie Christie plays two characters in the film. Like, why couldn't they just get another person? Or, or the decision behind making two characters the same actress. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's at least the thought process behind it. I think at least comes from the idea that one represents. They're almost like they could be the same person, but this one is one who's you know fed into and bought into the regime and all the propaganda. The other one is one who operates outside of it and wants to be free. And just how different they are because of that. Although I'm not yeah. going to lie, it took me too long to realize that they were both the same actress. 
Oh, really? I mean, the wigs did make a difference, and the lipstick color. It, it was, <laughs> no, because early on when he first meets the neighbor, who's the, the same actress, it was Julie Christie again, and he says yeah. something, and we haven't met his wife yet, but he says something along the lines of, uh, oh, you're just like my wife, actually, but with, you know, she's got long hair. And yeah. he hadn't seen her wife yet, though, so it, never, it wasn't even in my head. And it was actually like much later in the film where I sort of realized, wait a minute, those are both Julie Christie. <laughs> yeah, I know, because I, you know, I really like Julie Christie, and we watched a really fun movie with her called Demon Seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I like Dr. Chivago a lot. And so right away, I'm like, oh, Julie Christie, there she is. She's playing this character. And then she shows up later again as the wife. I'm like, Wait, was that not Julie Christie the first time? Just someone who looks like her? A little trippy. And- <laughs> a little trippy. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. It's just a, it's an interesting choice. Um, I can't, I mean, yeah, it could, it could be the symbolism of like, one is just, they could have been the same person. Um, one of them could have, like, they, it, the representation of, one person with two paths they could take if they wanted to be the status quo then, or if they wanted to be an individual. Or if you forget, like, her agency, think about it more from his perspective, like the main character, Montag, the idea that mm-hmm. he is with his wife, this is the woman he's chosen to marry, He's a, this is him part of the regime, and then this other woman who comes along who tempts him out into the, the, the free world mm-hmm. is the same person, but she's the version of for, for him that's, you know, this other version of him as well. So, I don't know, there's, there's kind of a... A weird thing there but I, yeah i mean i i think the movie's good but not great mm-hmm. uh is, is kind of how i saw it there's definitely some things that feel like it is limited by the because it never and obviously one of the things i'm going to say here might sound like oh i'm being mean to it because it was made in 1966 but there's other movies that are made in the 60s and 70s that do a better job of feeling like they're in a different world and i watched this and outside of one or two very small things for the most part it just looks like the british countryside in the 1960s there's there's not really much about it that feels remotely it kind of reminds me of like the first mad max where you just kind of have to Mm. accept that this is a dystopian future but it doesn't really look all that different like it doesn't look so bad (laughs) except for you know the, the things that they're saying and i think it is limited a little bit on the the more dramatic parts maybe um there are some people who like have some big epic moments that I don't really feel the connection for like I sh- like I'm supposed to and it could just be because they're limited on how they could film it I'm not there's, sure there's definitely a, a an interesting caveat to a main character who to begin with is fairly lacking emotion he's mm-hmm. he's fairly kind of one note and that's kind of by design because the whole point is is that he you know he gains more emotions and empathy and so on as he as he goes through his journey it does raise this kind of weird thing though where for a good portion of the film he's very stoic about everything around him he's very kind of unaffected by things around him and it does make it it, it, i think it's a challenge for a filmmaker to sort of take that type of character and make it work it's it's not something that you can just hand to any sort of director or writer and 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 happen it's probably something that does work a little bit better on the page oh definitely because you get into their mind you you, you're on you're constantly seeing the the you know it's telling you exactly what's going on in their head the whole time and that they're struggling or and there's like the spark of something that you can see them you know battling inside their head for a while and in the in the film like you just have to (laughs) they can they can sort of show you through emotions and actions but 
you are losing a little bit of something by translating it onto film versus you know being in their mind in the yeah. books i also i thought like his the first time he actually chooses to read a book i actually felt like it, it was oddly like it, it felt like it wasn't treated with the like this is huge that he's making this choice to do this when his entire existence up until this point has been like no i don't do this this is not worth doing it's illegal mm -hmm. it's not worth my time and the first time he actually just casually opens a book it kind of doesn't feel like there was much build up to it oddly um yeah. something to show that he was feeling a temptation beforehand might have went a long way it felt like it kind of skipped over a beat for him as a character i did enjoy the the dynamic of the two of of them like um of the two of our main characters together like i liked julie christie as the as the wife as linda and and his character and their contrast like i thought she really brought a lot to that um that that world like believing that world when she sits down in front of the tv and is like seeing look how special this moment is because i'm going to be on tv or i'm going to be a part of this moment and he just kind of looks at her like this is what you live for <laughs> and it's there's not really a whole lot of you know a lot there but she gets really excited about things like she kind of sells the world a lot better maybe just because she's a really good actress but and he is just kind of a bland person <laughs> by nature also you know for the yeah book, yeah the I, story. it's funny as well because i feel like the ending of the movie the last you know 15 20 minutes where it kind of goes at the end obviously we won't get the spoilers yet but I do kind of feel like it works really well in like a sort of metaphor sense, like and mm -hmm. like a as a, an allegory in what it's saying about art and about free speech and all those things. It works really well as an actual narrative conclusion to the story. It's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. I, I can explain it better when I can actually talk about what it is. But it's uh, yeah, it's hard. I I don't know. I don't know how many times you've like read the book version before you've watched the film version like mm -hmm. normally for me it's the other way around like i'll get inspired because i loved a film so much to check out the book but on the the few occasions that i have read the book first and then watched the the movie adaptation there's always going to be something that's lost i mean if a director is able to take the like spirit of the story and make their own spin on it an adaptation of it where you still get the right messages across and it's still a great watch then i can love both but it is starting at a disadvantage because honestly this book is a 10 like it was really good it was a really good read and i was kind of mad at myself that i hadn't read it earlier and um it, that comes with my highest recommendations although everyone listening probably has already read it but it's <laughs> Wait, you're assuming everyone on the internet has already read a book slow down <laughs> well i mean most i think for most people it's required reading in schools it just for some reason i had the teacher that said we're not going to read that we're going to read this instead i mean i don't think any of my classes like any of the classes in my school read it but <laughs> right. some schools some some schools i don't think do have it on the, the curriculum well, good news it's like a really easy read and it's honestly like it's great and it's kind of sparked my interest. I went and picked up another book. How about that? Oh, I think I'm going to go. keep going. Whoa. <laughs> Things are changing. Um, yeah, I actually have read another Ray Badbury book, though. In fact, it was mentioned in this film, uh, The Martian Chronicles. I've actually mm -hmm. read that one a uh, long, long time ago. Uh, as with any book I've read, it was a long time ago because I've not read a book in a very long time. But <laughs> As Bradbury predicted. <laughs> 
Look, I... That, well, that's kind of the, one of the weird things that, to me about the, the, the story here is that obviously we're saying that the other forms of media that do exist are kind of skewed and it sounds like the book does a better job of really pointing out how cynical they are and how more how much more of an advertising or propaganda or how different yeah, they are because like of the world they're in. pornography is allowed still. But, <laughs> but like, I don't think the movie does necessarily an amazing job of really accenting or accenting why the other forms of media are okay and books aren't. It doesn't really necessarily do a great job of that. Because one of the things I was thinking about as I was watching it is like, okay, yeah, this almost feels like 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 a writer like being like, yeah, books are more important. Like this is why books are so important. This is why they're, they're dangerous. So they want rid of the books, but all this other crap, the films and stuff, yeah, they're all still okay. <laughs> no, I think even even Bradbury does acknowledge at the end, like this whole obviously this whole thing is about books. Yeah, but at the end, like he, uh, there is a character that's not in the film that is kind of like a mentor to oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, but I'm to talking, Montag. Oh, no, fair enough if it's in the book, but I'm saying in the movie it's not there. Yeah, yeah, okay. But yeah, I mean, it is, you, you mentioned it sounds like it's written by a writer who likes, who's a, an author, a book author, so he's gonna, you know, he's gonna push this being about books and not about other mediums. Like, but even Bradbury admits, like, there is room for cinema also. Just not all action explodey cinema. Not Michael Bay stuff. Sure, yeah. <laughs> actual, you know, cinema, cinema. Yeah. <laughs> like actual, you know, auteurs and challenging yeah. and thought provoking and all the rest of it. And there's no reason why, you know, because uh, it's funny because we were talking about adaptations and, you know, I, I've never read The Shining, but it's pretty famously known that Stephen King does not like The Shining movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to say this to Mr. King, I really am, but. Stanley Kubrick is a better movie director than you are a writer. So I'm sorry, but The Shining's a 10, and I don't care what your book says. So go away. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think the real point is that reading books is hard. Like, even though it's enjoyable, it takes work. Like, you know, if I try to read this at night and I'm laying in bed, even if I'm really enjoying it, I like sleep more, so I'm going to fall asleep, (laughs) but (laughs) that's going to win. So you have to like, you know, turn a light on, sit upright, maybe sit in a chair, not a bed, you know, do the things that you have to do to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable in order to challenge yourself and you can get more out of it that way. But I think this world that they're describing or they're trying to in this film anyway, is that people are always going to choose the easier option. Like, it's easier to watch the movie version than read the book. And it's easier to maybe listen to a review than watch the movie. Or it's, you know, it's easier to read the summary on IMDb and not bother with the reviews. And, like, there's always an easier way. And maybe you think that that's enough. Like, I got the story. I got the, I know the characters. I know the beats. I know what this movie is. I don't need to watch it. But each time you do that, you lose a lot more. And you're not really getting the thing anymore so but it is it is more satisfying that's what addiction is right like addiction is just what's the what's the thing that takes the least amount of effort to give me the rush the dopamine hit you know and that's that's what drugs are so it's it's an easy temptation to give into and i think like a lot of people talk about censorship this is a world of of censorship and the dangers of dentist of censorship in our future if we just 
ban things that um like promote free thought or promote um discord but it's not it's not as much censorship as it is that this is a world where people sort of volunteered to do to get rid of the things that were more difficult or more challenging and it's more of a warning of what happens if we just forget about books because it's more difficult than watching the movie it's actually not too different from uh time enough at last the twilight zone episode of the dangers of just of yeah of just forgetting about art and the things that um i don't know like give people individuality and and thought wait hold on a second so you're thinking this movie the, the world of this movie or and the book as well happened because people thought it was hard to read yes i'm saying that this is it's in here like i'll i'll pull it up I have it here somewhere. I'll oh, right. okay. Before you tell me what's in the book, then let me tell you what I got from the movie because the movie did not get that point across to me it at says, all. Remember, the firemen are rarely necessary. The public itself stopped reading of its own accord. So people, yeah, they just stopped reading. But that's not saying this is why it happened. That that's that's them saying that people like they'll basically do a lot of censorship for us because it's the easy thing to do. That's not why it happened in the first place, though. The censorship itself has a purpose. No? It does, yes. But we, as the public, gave them that ability to do it. Okay, you know, it's, okay. I, I, no, I see what you're saying there, but it didn't happen, be, like, it didn't just happen because of that, though. That's not the, the reason why they're burning books. They're, they're burning books to stop the spread of information, to stop the spread of thinking and ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Um. Yeah, but I mean, most, one. the that, status, the villain here isn't the government. The villain is the status quo. Like we allow the, the humanity allowed this to happen, and eventually it got to a point where you didn't even realize you were in it so bad. You know, you didn't realize when things exactly got as bad as they did because it was just something that was gradual. Oh, no, no, I agree. I agree that, that that is there. I just don't think that that is the purpose of the burning of the books. The, that starts because they want to stop the spread of these things. And yes, it's facilitated because people kind of let it happen. You're saying that the, the baddie is still Big Brother, is still the government. Not necessarily. They I just, mean, they're, want, they just they're, want people to be not individual. Well, they're definitely a baddie, but I don't necessarily think that dis that defeats the point that everyone is kind of at fault for letting it get to that point the point i'm making that there still has to be a, a villain as well like it can't just be humans or the you know like the society the status quo is the villain but there is also a villain that's benefiting from the status quo it's hard to tell in, in the film though because we don't really see any type of government we just really see the firemen oh sure yeah yeah it's just faceless it's just it's bodiless uh we i don't even think um government's really acknowledged in in the film or the book it's it's mostly just the firemen and their duties and the uh the, the media and how that's like taken over um households like they they even refer to it in the film as their family like they're going to watch their cousin on tv their cousins their family like that's become their entire life that's their social interaction is just the people that they watch on screen yeah, but someone has to be benefiting from all this. Yeah, but we don't know. We don't see. We assume so. 
Yeah, we don't have to see them, but someone is. Like, the, the people that are advertising are, are benefiting from it, presumably. the so Someone is benefiting. Like, it can't just be, we're all doing this just because it's the way it is. <laughs> like, it, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And if, if, it's, if it's trying to get that point across to me, the movie doesn't do it. Like, this is, you know, it, it isn't there. I don't I, think. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think it's supposed to be there. I don't think you're supposed to think about who's benefiting from all this. I think you're supposed to think about why things got so bad and how did we let this happen? I think you're supposed to see well, the villains as j- ourselves so, if we make the wrong decision. What's so weird about that? You say that though, and I didn't think that once in the entire film, and I never once crossed my mind how did it get this way. That was never really at the forefront of my mind at all. Like I accepted the world for what it is and well, what the story they, they is. They talk about, about like you know firemen used to didn't firemen used to put out fires and not start them and like oh that's just an old wives tale. oh they like, do not, yeah. yeah they do um but there's not really anything else to actually imply how things got this way there's not really any like hints or teases to it mm. i think it's more just if you put yourself in the mind of the time it was written and like post you know world war ii where the Nazis did go out and burn books and probably more people did. I'm not sure, but like that is just a common thing that's seen and we can just assume like, oh, this is maybe like a fascist government, but we don't really know exactly what it is because we can't see it. Like we don't actually see the the hand at play here. No, and I think that gives it a, an atmosphere and whatever, but they definitely do exist. Like I, I don't, like, especially if you're going to compare it to Nazis burning books, like, how more, how much more villainous can you get in terms of a comparison? Yeah. yeah. You know, and our guy, <laughs> I mean, he's Austrian, but he, sound, he sounds and he looks like a German. Are, are you, even, even the outfits they wear, they've even got this little salute that's not, it's mm-hmm. not the, that salute, but it, there's, you know, it's not a million miles away from something that you might see, like, a, a, an officer like that do, so. It looks, it looks a little bit like the mirror universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> salute <laughs> from but, Star Trek. There's, there's definitely, I think, parallels. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even the idea of, like, you know, ratting out your neighbor and like, them going and, like, just ransacking the house and the people seemingly disappearing. Although they kind of gloss over that detail a little bit. They never really talk about... Uh, there's a couple of brief mentions about people like, going to prison after their, their books have been burned, but mm-hmm. they, they don't really spend too much of a focus on it. Uh, it kind of... And I, I think that is very purposeful. I think it's made to tie into the idea of like uh, our main character's own ignorance as to what the rest of the the system is. Like you know, he mm-hmm. he fills his part of it, and he he goes to the houses, he burns the books, he knows this is illegal. Yeah, I don't necessarily get the impression that he actually knows that much about where the people go next. It's almost to the point where there could be something very sinister happening to them that we we're just not seeing. Uh, it is it's an interesting idea especially since well, i can't really say this because it's spoilers but especially one of the ideas that introduces later it kind of draws a comparison between two things and if there's that comparison then it kind of implies something very dark about other things so i'll talk about that when we get to uh spoilers particularly for the ending should we just uh go into the spoilers then uh we probably should i mean i think i just wanted i mentioned the look of it and kind of the feeling uh how it just kind of feels like it's in the 60s countryside. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like all, all the houses we see look very kind of old-fashioned. And it, that's kind of a weird complaint, but, you know, typically if something today is set in the future, a dystopian future, they'll, they'll 
dress it up a little bit and I, okay yes it's a, th- it's a time before we can just like there is a little like upside down monorail which i don't know what that was it looked i mean like it was a thing that maybe doesn't get used anymore <laughs> i don't know it, yeah i don't know if they built that or if they that, because it, I, I don't think it's it high tech like there's real people inside there yeah but when they're inside that that's not them actually on the thing that's moving because all, all of it no, is no, actually no. you can see the the like the screen behind them moving but like yeah. from the outside looking into it like there's people moving around yeah rear screen or not even rear screen projection it was superimposed everyone yeah. was superimposed on the background uh, when they're actually right yeah the background it. definitely does not line up at all <laughs> yeah um so but you just see it kind of leaving in the same shot that he gets off of it, i think so it clearly functioned a little bit just to like sort of move out of frame essentially mm-hmm. maybe it was some like i don't know world's fair demonstration of a future monorail that they used for the film and then never yeah maybe I don't know, I, <laughs> never yeah, I don't caught know. on maybe it wasn't just something they tried out and then it just was unsafe not as safe as just the regular monorails <laughs> yeah um I, no, I that's just... one thing that looked kind of futury for the time but you're right the fashion's all the same the hair style's all the same yeah yeah, the 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 fire truck, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, looks so old fashioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, and obviously, I don't expect it to look modern because it's a film from nineteen sixty six. But it just, even though it looks different to what a fire truck did at the time, in the sense that it doesn't have you know a hose or anything like that, it doesn't have the usual parts. It it still feels it feels like what they wanted to do with it was to make what looked like a fire truck at the time and just have it be missing these essential things and have these other things instead because mm-hmm. of what they do so they wanted to actually conjure up an image of the time of what a fire truck in that location would look like the problem is is that when i look at it even though it's technically not exactly the same i just see a 1960s looking fire truck and I, i'm like nothing about this feels uh yeah. remotely futuristic uh and the one thing that does actually feel futuristic for the time actually feels accurate to present day so mm-hmm. Still doesn't feel like that much in the future. Yeah, so I, I don't know how to process that part of it, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of weird. Um, but I, I know it's just like a weird complaint, but it just has overall kind of downbeat kind of feeling to it, mm-hmm. I guess is, is how I'd say. Uh, but I do, I do think it's got some uh, value. and I, I do think there's some interesting uh, beats. I mean, we had some conversations about already about, you know, what's kind of going on and representation uh the, the the books are um because uh, because ultimately the, the spread of ideas the spread of emotion it could, I, I mentioned equilibrium at the start uh about how it's you know a lot of that and equilibrium took the idea of sucking the emotion out of everyone literally by actually having everyone take a drug that suppresses all emotions which was in uh, alphaville but this is essentially you know essentially is what happening here anyway as much as as much as it's not literally happening that's essentially the effect of it right is everyone is kind of like bland and emotionless mm-hmm. and like his wife and her friends when they're watching stuff there it's just everything's just yeah even the um i really like that scene actually with her friends over um but there's there's even a scene where we get like his wife's in trouble she takes too many pills and the people that come are not doctors or nurses or paramedics. They're like handymen and they just use like a vacuum. And like, because it happens so often, people so often commit suicide or accidentally commit suicide that 
they don't even bother sending doctors anymore. It's just like a trade now for people to pick up uh, stomach pumping and <laughs> blood transfusions. They do like multiple a night. That's an interesting way to paint the world, the future. The people yeah. are just so like, even suicide is not, it's just so common because people are, their lives are meaningless that, you know, they don't even use doctors. They send <laughs> like a plumber. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll go into spoilers then. So I will give the spoiler warning. Uh, but I will thank our Patreon producers for the month at this juncture. So thank you to... If I can click on my thing, it's been awkward. If I could thank... My God. So if I could thank Sorry. Alison M. Fordyce, Tyler Hess, Cindy Palaces, David Sharp, Board Now, Zammer Jammer, Al Tribesman, Christopher Moy, and Brett Williams, thank you to all of you. Your Patreon producers for the month of August... Uh, that means they are $20 or more on patreon.com slash TV. But you don't have to be a $20 patron, do you, Tara? Why no? If you enjoy our reviews and like the channel, want to support the channel, and get bonus material, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. And if you donate as those $1 per month, you will get access to bonus episodes of both The Ace and Screams After Midnight. So if you also like horror, there's going to be bonus episodes for that show. And uh, if you donate as little as five dollars per month, you will get access to our reviews one day early, and some of our shows you'll get one week early if you like Twilight Zone, and Star Trek. So please check that out. Thank you. Okay, uh, we will. I'll, I'll be honest. I wasn't listening to any of that. So if you made a mistake, I have no idea. Uh <laughs> I did not. It was perfect. <laughs> I was. I was in my head. Take thinking. my word for it, and don't rewind. Yes. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, the movie, uh, we're working our way through here in, in broad terms. We get an example. The movie opens with an example of what his job is. And we have this 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 guy who's who's called, he's warned by a friend saying, hey, they're coming. Like, but it might even be uh, the neighbor. Well, we should probably start with the opening credits, which are have no writing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought that was a nice touch, actually, is that yeah. because reading is, is banned. Although, that was one of the, one of the things. Is someone, because I've seen the first three seasons of handmaid's tale right and one of the rules in handmaid's tale is that the women aren't allowed, allowed to read event in any way right in fact there's a really poignant moment when they're visiting canada at one point where serena joy's character uh they give her an itinerary for what she's doing and because they know she's not allowed to read they've got like this like kids images from like a playbook so i'm <laughs> saying it's dinner time so it's like a plate of anyway so something that caught me off guard in this watching it is that Reading's not allowed, but they still have, like, files. They still have things that they use that have text in them. It's just books that aren't allowed. Uh, so that was one of yeah. the things that kind of caught me. But anyway, uh, yes, it's it's, like, it's all the antennas, all the TV antennas, which, again, makes it feel really old because it's all these old-school aerials yeah. on, on roofs. I like that it's, like, bright Technicolor and then some fast zoom-ins on all this technology stuff, and they're, they read you the names instead of you being able to read the names. What's interesting is that Francois Truffaut actually said something. Uh, I, I just like I, I happened to catch this when I was looking stuff up. Mm. Uh, he credited the film not being a, a massive success or financial success when it came out because uh, Alphaville had just came out like the year before, and because of a French film. Well, he is French, so maybe he would think that. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, <laughs> um, I definitely like this more than Alphaville though, because I really didn't like the Alphaville. So. For Maybe it's like a Doctor Strangelove and failsafe situation. 
far, far <laughs> we guess already my saw vote. the spoof version of or the comedy version of it we don't want to see the drama now although both are like 10 out of 10 films they're both great <laughs> oh yeah you're talking about fail safe and dr strange love yeah for a second there, yeah. I thought you were talking about Fahrenheit and Alphaville. I'm like, wait, what? I'm not going to give away my rating. <laughs> They're both tens. Alphaville was not a ten, and we we both know you didn't I give that. I gave a 10. that like a six point five or a seven or something. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we get this example, and this guy runs off, and we see the the fireman come in, and basically one of the things that sort of like played throughout is the idea of like you know looking through the house for the hidden books, and they're hidden in toasters and and a fake TV set and all, all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no! But this guy didn't have like a like a, a widescreen TV. It was like an old school, like big wooden CRT. Wow. Those are probably expensive. Oh, possibly yes. Maybe maybe uh, our character Montai can only afford it because he's a uh, a design, you know a a decorated fireman. Is what I was right. About. He's about uh, to get a promotion. He's about to get a promotion. Yes. Uh, the the carrot uh, dangled in front of him to be a, a good little soldier boy. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just kind of sets up that, you know, we see them playing through. We see at one point when they're, they've got all the books on this little platform that they're burning, uh, this uh, little boy in the crowd picks up one of the books that's sort of fallen off and is kind of looking through it. And there's the, lead, the, the lead fireman's kind of like glancing over at the, the dad and the dad's like, oh, yeah, give me do that. something about that? Yeah, give me that boy <laughs> and throws it into the fire. Uh, so... No, so it's just a really good example of what his what his life is, what his job is, and sets up mm-hmm. kind of the 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 rules or the 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 main themes we're going to be playing with. And he runs into his neighbor on his way home, uh, played by Julie Christie, whose name I am going to get so I can actually call her something. Uh, Clarice, right? Clarice, yes, yeah. I'll just think of sounds and alarms. Uh, so Clarice just kind of befriends him and asks him a bunch of questions about his job and asks him like you know. Uh, you know, why do you burn books? You know, blah blah. I, I mean, if there's anything wrong with this, it felt a little bit like an exposition device for the audience having her ask all these questions when clearly this world is well established for all these people. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, why do you burn books? I I I'll I'll bring up a a book difference here. Oh, is, go on. Um, I mean, it does open up with with Montague burning and like the pleasure that he gets from it, and and when he meets. Clarice on his way home she does come off more like a like a really young girl and she actually mm. dies fairly like in the first part of the book like she doesn't go on to become like a love interest or anything like that and uh and she dies because of she's somebody who asks questions and she's not killed by like any government official or anything like that no it's just she gets killed because she likes to slow down and smell flowers and she gets run over by a vehicle and we don't even get the description of it we get like somebody else heard that she died because of this well, and they don't really care because so two things about death so two things that goes back again to you talking about how the book has this thing about everyone like going too quick and not slowing down that's yeah. not in the movie no. at all right so uh there's so because of that. because they're not able to film like those like really fast moving vehicles and they're not able to do that just at the time it was made without it looking maybe stupid or something i guess they felt like they needed to do more with her character and make her like I, a love interest I, I mean maybe the other thing you said there though is that i don't think the movie you said that he gets pleasure from burning the books i don't think i got that in the opening yeah scene. that's like literally the opening line is that how much he loves like he does get pleasure from there's burning. like no there's like no emotion on his pa- his face like he loves his job 
See, in the movie, it never feels like that. This is no, no. It, it never feels like he. It just feels like he's a blank slate until. I, I did read that the in the trivia for the film that he, the lead actor guy, um, Oscar Werner, mm-hmm. and Francois Truffaut, like hated each other. <laughs> so it could be that maybe he hated the director hated him because he was kind of wooden in his performance, or. Um, because he hated the director, because Oscar hated the director, maybe he became like a blasé performer. I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I feel like you keep bringing up things as if I'm like, and I'm like, what are you talking about? This is not like. <laughs> I know. That's the thing when you, when, like, but, I read yeah, it right before I watched yeah, the film, so. But you're referencing things as if I'm supposed to know that this is something that's implied in the movie, and it isn't. Like, it, at least when I sit in the Dracula review, just to bring up my uh, flawless record. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to say in the book and then tell a difference, that's I did what I learn do. today that you've read two books at least. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I know you've read the Martian Crown. But there's multiple times here where you've talked about a theme, and then it's not until after like I don't know a, a good thirty seconds. Well, of I'm talking sure that's about what, the, that, what the director was hoping would be in in there too. It's just not coming across because of. Uh, the script or well no i I, 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 dis- I disagree with that i, I don't uh, you say the director hoping for it i don't think the director's trying to get this fast moving thing in here i uh, i don't think there's any attempt at that well no 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 not not that i mean like the like just that montag really likes his job like he does in the at least in the beginning before he starts to question things I mean, because of his interactions cause, with clarice even because after the after the uh the burning he talks with his superior and he's talking about how oh, this a lot of old guys retiring so there's maybe mm-hmm. a promotion in it for you uh you know montag like even when he finds out about the promotion and he tells his wife about the promotion it feels odd like you know he's happy because he knows he's supposed to be happy not because mm-hmm. he actually is that excited about the prospect of you know climbing the ladder at the the, the fire station you know it, it feels very actually the one futuristic thing they have bizarrely is that they go up the fire pole yep that's is in that... the book too yeah what's supposed <laughs> to be happening there exactly I, I... I think they, I thought it was kind of clever. I actually rewound it because I thought, how'd they do that? And it's because they filmed it in reverse and then, so it looks, or they, they filmed him going down and then reversed the shot. Well, but they do it really cleverly. So you can hear the voices of them t- turning and talking to each other, but you don't actually see their lips move. Well, so actually, no, that's it. not true. That's not true. You're forgetting a scene later on in the movie where he goes up the pole, he gets off the pole and the shot keeps going as he talks to multiple people before it eventually ends and i well, was sp- you, you see him like above the hole like coming up the pole <laughs> you don't see him like from the bottom go all like it doesn't track all the way up well obviously not no yeah but they still have to do that part in reverse you can't slide them up the pole i'm sure somebody like pushed them <laughs> like gave him a boost and then he was okay. able to do it all right maybe because <laughs> i i was paying attention thinking did they shoot that in reverse but then the shot kept going as he was talking to multiple yeah. people like, the, if, if they, if they the had first to one was definitely in reverse but because no because if they had to like learn to like do this scene in backwards so they could reverse it later and then dub their voices so that they could yeah think, because i don't know if you know this but there's a one of the coldplay music videos where he's yeah, walking yeah. the whole time that he had to learn the song backwards so they could reverse it later uh yeah, it's a really cool video. Yeah, it's a cool video, but like he had to learn to sing the entire thing backwards so that they could shoot it that way, uh, which is really neat. So I was thinking, but did they just learn how to do this like thirty second bit backwards? You know, say everything backwards. It's like a three second bit, <laughs> the one that the one that they do in reverse, like definitely in reverse. In I reverse, sure, it. yeah. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, pre- presumably anytime it's at the bottom of the pole then and they're landing, or they're not landing, mm-hmm. they're, so they're taking they're off. They're going up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But obviously when they shot it, they were landing. You know, you know why I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Typically that's but you're what you right, do. like above and the second story, like he pops out of the hole and then goes and has a regular scene. Yes. And it doesn't cut to another shot for quite some time, so yeah. you're probably right. They probably just pushed them up, but it, it, it looked impressive for what... Because... It, I don't imagine the body language being quite right if he's pushed up. So however they, whatever way they found to push him up so that it looked... A big trampoline. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> no, I don't think that would work. I'd have to watch it again to really... Because I only watched it once, obviously. So I'd have to go back yeah. and like analyse the scene and talk about his body language and why it doesn't make sense that it would be bouncing up the way. It feels like it just smoothly slides up. As if they did it in reverse, except the fact that he steps off and well, talks I'm to I'm glad people. they were able to impress you. I mean, yeah, it's not a huge one, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a small technical thing. Is the... <laughs> I mean, that's not giving them too many points for that. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, but the point I was making, though, is that, you know, when he tells his wife about the promotion and stuff, he's just kind of like, yeah, I've got a promotion. And, he's, he, you know, he sounds dead inside, essentially. Uh like he knows he's supposed to be happy about it, and she knows she's she's supposed to be happy about it, but she's t- she's too ingrained in her, in her thing, and because that whole thing you were talking about, where she's talking to the TV, she's like, oh, it's on, and I'm going to be on it. They're going to turn and ask me a question. I, I mean, did you actually get? I mean, maybe this is in the book, and I'm just not getting this from the movie. But did you actually get the impression that other people were seeing her when she was being asked questions? Because the impression I, I got, the impression I got in the movie was that everyone hears their own name when they turn to you and they ask definitely you do that question. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's definitely it. There, there's something that it is more descriptive in the book, and obviously, and they did, they do say that technology has gotten to a point where they can say your name, and the lips will move to your name, and it's personalized for each, everybody that's watching it. Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of how I took that. Is that because yeah. the because the first time she's she's asked something, she kind of freezes, doesn't really say anything. The scene just kind of keeps playing. And it's just these two guys arguing about where to put people at a wedding. Like, what, which table should everyone sit at? And eventually, they keep asking her questions, and she, you know, she'll say something. She's so, un, you know, she's so nervous and unconfident, but she, she does unconfident. No one says that, <laughs> but she, you know, she, she does give an answer eventually. And when she gets to the last one, and she just says, kind of like, "Oh, maybe put them at that table." And they both turn and look and goes, "My God, Linda, you're brilliant!" And I'm like, <laughs> she basically just said the most obvious thing and it's it just it's like oh here's some easy pat in the back for the person watching it's just yeah. the most e- easy yeah. kind of i mean you brought up earlier dopamine rush uh, right that's it's basically a, what it's it a trophy is. hit yeah 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 it's a trophy <laughs> so you, it, you know it is? it's the trophy for for beating the first uh, training level in a video game when I mean, you get yeah, to the end like, of just the, the tutorial oh, i did something right oh god i got a trophy a wee trophy for for learning how to use the buttons should probably do this some more this feeling <laughs> <laughs> oh dear because uh, well, if there's one thing i wish the movie did more was really play with the idea of him having more emotions as it as it goes because the scene you were talking about earlier where he kind of breaks not breaks down but she, linda has friends over and they're talking about just inane gossip that nothing that you know no one cares about mm-hmm. and this is after he's went through this big traumatic experience in the movie he's witnessed this big thing which we'll talk about separately and he's like you, you people don't have any idea what's going on what's happening out there you know where your mm-hmm. husband's off working these horrible things are happening and everyone's just kind of get their heads buried in the sand and he goes on this bit of a rant 
uh, and they're just like, oh my god, I can't believe he blew up like that. Like, why would he? Why would he talk like that? And I, I don't know. I feel like most people have been in situations where someone's a bit more opinionated about something, uh, political or or whatever, and everyone else just kind of doesn't want to engage in it because it's no, oh, the mood was fine. That's not bring things down. Uh, but the problem is, you're not reading the room here, Montag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you know, if you do that all the time then no one ever is ever going to talk about it and nothing will ever be addressed, uh, which is kind of what the repressive dystopian society kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah, exists for, yeah. Uh, is to keep everyone at a borderline catatonic state. Uh, so from here, I mean, I will just tackle some notable scenes kind of separately because they kind of, the order of this part, the middle of the movie is kind of like all over the place for me. Uh, you know, we have examples. Of, one of the things I loved is that we have examples of like training the young firefighters and the fire station, and they've got like wooden blocks to represent books where they could hide books. The safe versions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just wood. Just wood. Like. Uh, Did you see it, that white, that white like protective gear that he put on and over his head? One hundred percent asbestos. That's all Christ tile. That's all uh, asbestos, and. Ugh, it made me so nervous when he took it off and all the fibers were like stuck to his clothes and his hair and it was just floating in the air like oh I hope he held his breath uh he did die relatively young oh no well it wouldn't be from asbestos asbestos takes like 40 years oh well it took, it took about 20 mm. that's a sin for asbestos I, I, if you're a smoker no I mean, it's the 60s. He might have been a heavy smoker. Might have been. Yeah. Uh, he, he died in 1984 at age of 61. Alright. So 18 years later. But yeah, they used to use like pure asbestos like that to, you know, firefighters used to use that for for suits because <laughs> it's fire resistant. Like, it's really good. It's I, the best stuff. I just, I love the idea that the suit, like the actual protective gear was the most deadly thing of all for a long time. I just, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's obviously that's a why, dark irony. I mean, that's but... why they use asbestos in everything, or they used to before it got banned in most countries, is because it's like literally the best. Like it's the whole point of it is that it's a it's a crystal, it's a mineral, but you can weave it so it doesn't like it doesn't burn like other materials like cotton or, or things that can melt, you know. But because mm. it's because it's a crystal, it keeps breaking down and it gets airborne and then you can inhale it and it's like tiny little needles microscopic needles in your lungs and which aren't a big deal at first you won't like get a cough or anything but in like 40 years you'll get tumors or plaques that can develop into mesothelioma or asbestosis that's what happened to um Look, I have one thing that I know, okay, and I just, it's asbestos. I, just, I love the, <laughs> the the total lesson you're given right now in asbestos. Well, that's what which... happened to uh, uh, what's his name from the blob, <laughs> Steve McQueen. I just, I never want to hear a complaint about these episodes going too long when you you've tangent these into. Let me just give a lesson of what asbestos is and how it affects the human body. For I think it's, I think minutes. it's, I think it's so. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but every time like it shows up on the screen, I'm like, I know what that is, and that's bad. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Back in the 60s, they used a lot of asbestos, and they did not expect us all the problems it would cause. Ooh, but it was the best. Of, 
So, so yes, we had the trading stuff and, and whatnot. Uh, one of the big scenes, of course, uh, he he does meet up, of course, with uh, with Clarice again and tries to help her. And there's like a child who's scared of him, which is actually I kind of forgot about the scene until I was sort of thinking of the, the major beast there. Uh, it's kind of, I think that's kind of important the idea of a kid scared of him, like a kid before they've had all the emotion beat out of them, whether they're, they're more like because because when you're a kid, you're more heightened, you're more ready to like cry and laugh mm-hmm. and. And all those things. The idea that a kid would sort of recognise this like uh, emotion police <laughs> for for what he is uh, is kind of interesting. I don't really understand what's going on when they get there's like two kids that get called into like the principal's office, but it's just the boss, and it looks like he chases them around and like hits them, but it's hard like for a reprimand. Oh yeah, almost feels like a almost like slapstick comedy behind the glass. You just don't get to see it properly. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, I, I was talking scene, about the lo- I don't really know what's going on. Yeah, I was talking about the little girl, by the way, in the, the school. That right, yeah, takes yeah. Them to, uh, yeah. Not, 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 not the, 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 like, what, early 20-something, like, or late teen students they've got in the fire station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, that was the point I was getting at. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that's it's maybe one of the things that kind of hits at him, but I think at this point he's already read a book. He's already read one, I think, by this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I hit on there, I was talking about how he's kind of the emotion police. There is a lot of things that I, I'm kind of like. The world feels kind of small, and you know, presumably we have these fire stations in every town, right? And the entire city, country, moving the world, but definitely the country has these all over the place. So you just kind of assume that every town's a carbon copy of this. Fine, but. Yeah, what is the police system like? Uh, is there hospitals? Is is there, like... I mean, we talked about how we don't really get a sense of what the government's like or what the regime's like, but we don't even get a sense of, like, any of these other facets of society. It really does just feel like the only people that exist in any form are the firemen. Yeah. And that's kind it, of... I int- don't know. There's it's also... A, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's interesting because it, it creates this weird kind of surreal feeling to it. Which does two things. On the one hand, you can complain that it feels kind of lacking and it's not really thought out the rest of the world. On the other hand, though, you can say, well, no, what it does is it, it makes it feel like it's less that it's supposed to feel like a real world and more like just a... almost like a fever dream of just a world that obviously wouldn't function if you actually stop and break it all down because there's just mm-hmm. too many things missing from it. Uh, yeah. Well, the firemen seem to have a lot of power anyway, like... They don't really get in trouble when a woman dies by being burned to death. And in in the movie, like when uh, when Montague is on the run, like it's just the media that calls out all the people to come outside and look for him. True. Yeah. Uh, they they just I guess maybe everything is uh, like a local militia is what they do. They just band everybody together. <laughs> Yeah, have a call to arms for the citizens and be like, do your civic duty and, you know, bring this guy to justice. But maybe it's still the firemen who are looking for him. Uh, maybe they have a bit of a police role. Uh, I know, like, in, in the book, like I mentioned before, they do have the dogs, but that's not in the film. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe the movie's implying that there are no things, at least on a regular basis, like murder or, or theft. Maybe... One of the upsides to the society is that there is no like desire to do these things because of the lack of emotions. People don't have emotions, yeah. yeah. So there's no. 
there's no rage or passion or yeah so yeah i mean yeah maybe there's something there to be said to that and there's uh, there's also the uh the pills that she takes like the pills are they're not really prescription they're just like numbers on them like she takes gold eight or yeah she yeah. also has red number two and blue one like she has all these different types of pills Which, so but I, I, if people I, I, do get you know emotions maybe that's something that's but hold on, to, to, to rewind for a second though and go back to the you know okay there's no robot dogs so you've got all these other things I do think it's kind of a critique of the film, though, that, okay, we're kind of getting to these ideas through talking about them. We're kind of getting to the, this mm-hmm. idea of, like, okay, maybe this is this is what it's implying about them not actually doing it. I do think the movie could do a better job of actually getting some of these ideas across, like, on screen. Like, the idea that, oh, maybe there isn't any crimes, and that's why there's almost no need for a regular police force. Why, why mm-hmm. it can just be everyone chips in when something does happen where someone is needed to be caught. Uh, like, you know, and since there are some people sneakily well, reading books, then presumably those people are still susceptible to maybe committing other crimes at some point. We do get the... Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, we do get the shot at the at the very end where Montague is being chased and instead of... Or sort of jumping to it. Instead of um, is him this being... the stupid jetpacks? <laughs> You're right, yes. The jetpacks? jetpacks who are searching for him. I don't know if those are firemen or not. And we get a helicopter that shoots down a person that they say is Montag, but isn't in order to keep the status quo. Oh yeah, you're really jumping ahead with that. You're bringing a whole other kind of worms in with that. But I'm yeah. saying like, is that, we don't know if that's firemen. We we do see men in helicopters who have uh, the ability to shoot down somebody. The jetpack people did look like, like firemen. Uh, we didn't explain what you just said there though, because that was a pretty big thing. It just... <laughs> drop on them randomly okay well we're in the spoiler section so i just thought i'd bring it up yeah. <laughs> that we well, no, do see it... a helicopter in the end that has the ability to shoot somebody on the run so maybe oh, that yeah, was well, the police oh yeah but the more important part of it though is that they fake or they, they they basically take someone who looks vaguely like montag and they kill him on camera so mm-hmm. the public think that they've caught the bad guy and everything's okay like, yeah, that's a pretty big deal because nobody nobody ever gets out so yeah that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Rather than actually catch them, they just pretend they've caught them because that's what keeps the peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I, that's, that's a pretty big deal. This idea of a lying oh, yeah, regime again, um, which, you know, uh, is, I, I mean, I, I mean, arguably, obviously the media is just a tool for whoever's in charge. Uh, again, we never see who that is, but mm-hmm. uh, we, we see the, the, the example of the media being this, this tool for them throughout the whole thing. Um, but yeah, so to go back though, to go back, uh, we got um, some other big moments we need to talk about. You mentioned the 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 you know, the, the almost suicide, uh, and one thing we didn't mention before though is that Linda, when she gets up the next day, it's like it never happened. Doesn't mm-hmm. care. It's just she's got about her business. She's got things to do that day. She's doesn't, just extra hungry. Yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, she, yeah, because basically what they've done is they've they've, stumped, they've, they've uh, pumped her stomach. Like mm-hmm. that's, they, they call it something else, but that's essentially what they've done. Uh, it's like, oh, she'll be really hungry tomorrow. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's the extent of they, it. They pump her stomach and they give her a blood transfusion because mm. the drugs are in her blood. Yeah. Actually, I don't think it was kind of odd how these two kind of like normal gruff dudes come in and they're like, okay, uh, let us, let us you know, get on with the work, mister. And Montag goes and sits in like the kitchen or something like that at the corner and just sort of sits in darkness. I know where you're but, going, yeah. But all you can hear from the other room is one of the guys saying, all right, let's get our stockings off then. And I'm like, 
You're not going to like supervise these two strange men who are just yeah, stripping your wife right now. Yeah, especially because when he comes back in and she's asleep, she's naked. Yeah, like <laughs> under the covers, but like she was wearing clothes. <laughs> I mean, okay, if they have to do this for the work, sure, but I, I feel like I'd want to, you know, just be in the room and. Yeah, you have two handymen working on your wife. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, like you say, they don't feel like doctors; they feel like two bricklayers. Yeah. Not that I'm accusing bricklayers. There's many bricklayers a fine person. <laughs> You're very fine, but it feels like two sort of workmen who make catcall on a regular day are, yeah. are, are performing this medical service on this unconscious woman. Which, for some reason, she has to be nude for. Why does he got to take off her stockings to get to her stomach? That doesn't make no sense. Yes, and the blood transfusion all you need is the arm, really, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah lot, you lot. say blood, but it looked like tomato juice. Ah, but that's a problem. I mean, all movies from this era. The, the, the first so couple bright. of de- the first couple of decades of color film, basically, mm-hmm. there's like blood goes back and forth until it was eventually kind of more or less perfected by the time. It's like, has nobody to... seen blood before? Yeah, <laughs> it's it, so bright. It was at the end of the seventies, start of the eighties, where it kind of started to. But uh, obviously, it, just, it didn't fit in everything at once. Because what one of the ones that really sticks out to me, and this is, I think, when other films were starting to do it right. But um, or maybe, or maybe it was Tom Savini himself who did, who got got it right. But because uh, Tom Savini did the makeup effects for Dawn of the Dead, which was seventy eight, and I love that movie. That movie is a ten. It's a masterpiece. It is everything that should be lauded on a, a on a social commentary horror film. Uh, but one thing is, is the blood looks, you know, it's a bit too right and paint looking like uh it doesn't look quite right um so savini might himself might have even been the one who eventually perfected what blood looked like so he did, he did it quite quickly after that because definitely mm-hmm. by the time you get to slasher movies in the 80s blood was looking at least a lot better than it did then oh i agree so that's been blood talk that's been, that's been blood talk well you got asbestos talk you may, may as well get blood in the movie industry talk <laughs> uh so Yes, and of course the other big scene we have to talk about is when the old woman, her house has been raided. Uh, Montag at this point is actually pocketing books, mm-hmm. and one of the other firemen sees him do it. The, the the scheming one who's sort of like keeping this in his back pocket, which I thought was interesting that it never really pays off because it's not actually him that turns him in; it's his wife, Linda, ultimately because she knows he's what he's doing turns he him in. Him. Yeah, uh, but. This has quite a dark ending, this this whole section, because this scene ends, the woman who's there, because she has a secret library, um, and I do think there's some really interesting touches, because, you know, he's, he's the leader of the lead fireman is, like, naming a lot of the books, because he's given this monologue about why books are awful, and, you yeah. know, fiction stories are bad for this reason, biographies are, you know, full of hubris, and, you know, all these things. And the last book he, hold, he picks up, though, did you notice what the last book was he was holding at the end of the scene? Uh, with the bank comp? It was, yeah, it was Mein Kampf. I think that's a really interesting thing to sort of put in the list of, like, this also exists in here. It's not just mm-hmm. the good books. There's yeah. this really bad book in here, too, that, uh, which, you know. I think, I think this scene's really good, um, because not only, not only do we get more of the, of the fireman, um, oh, I can't remember his name, BD, I think, BD, the chief, the, like, the chief guy. Yeah, be the fireman. He's uh, he seems to be an expert on the books. Like everyone he picks up, he like knows the author and what it's about and why it's banned because it it created discord and that made people unhappy. So 
they banned it and that's why it's illegal to own because I, I, books I got now the, make you insane yeah i got the impression the reason why he knew all these authors is because he's because he's older he's actually like he grew up in a time where they weren't banned like the the, the ban came i think it's more because he tells montague um like he says every fireman gets tempted to to see what's inside the books and we all do it and i think i think uh bd has allowed himself to do it but never sees them more as than like vehicles for insanity whereas montague is starting to look into them and seeing the people who wrote the books and seeing um actually this is these are are things that should be saved and not burned but bd reads them and says these need to be burned because now I'm upset and now I'm not happy after reading that because this philosopher told me that this was right and now this philosopher is telling me that all that is wrong and I don't know what to think anymore and so that makes people insane and <laughs> he's taking the wrong he's looking at it in a biased view of this world that he grew up in like and I that's what what I got from it anyway and it's also a warning to Montag like look I know you've been tempted and maybe I've seen or somebody's told me that you've been pocketing books. But just know that every fireman goes through it, but they all end up burning the books because they lead to insanity. It's kind of like a warning, like, make sure you bring that book back that you stole. I never quite got the impression, and again, I didn't read the book. I'm going purely on the scene in the movie. I never got the impression that he'd read every book he was like picking up and like talking about. It was more from like just general knowledge because he grew up in a time going going along with the fact that there's some houses that still exist that aren't fireproof implies to me that this era of the books being illegal and that the fire the house has been fireproof is relatively like you know like maybe four decades or something like that maybe <laughs> maybe five decades that's probably right yeah actually yeah and bt who's an older man he was in his like late 60s or whatever uh like grew up in a school system that did talk about you know, these books and these authors so i, I got this more from he is a, a product of the time before so his mm-hmm. hatred of what these caused like he has first-hand knowledge of it and he remembers he, it all he's like uh he's when it started he was like the age of jojo rabbit let's go burn some books yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so i i kind of took his character as like he was someone who like really bought into the the uh the you know the propaganda of yeah. this movement that led to this to the book burning and you know he's devout from that time and he he wasn't happy with society you know, he was the the ultra right wing we have to burn all the books kind of mm-hmm. guy uh so and so because we you know even even the yeah, and obviously Clarice knew this when she asked the question really she's cause she's clearly trying to tempt Montag into you know joining the 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 not the dark side, but like you know, the free side. Mm-hmm. Um, she you know she says like, you know, why do you burn books? You know, and she she mentions that her house isn't fireproof and whatnot. Like, uh, isn't it true that firemen used to put out fires? Uh, it, you know, it does feel like okay. So this is a woman in her you know late thirties or whatever. So this gives us a bit of a timeline. Whereas if Beatty's in his sixties and he maybe remembers a world before books were banned, then that gives us a you know, kind of a window to where it maybe happened where. We're at a point now where the middle-aged people never remember, had the yeah. yeah remember, but they don't. But they also just kind of gave into that society. No, no, the middle-aged people were born after, so the middle-aged people don't remember at all. Oh, okay. You mean like the, like the fire chief age and up? 
Yeah, I wouldn't call him middle-aged anymore. He's he's a he's an old man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Julie Christie, when she's playing the 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 neighbor girl, mm-hmm. yeah, I think she says in the film that her, her she's like twenty two or something. Oh, she even younger. She didn't. I mean, she doesn't yeah. look twenty two, but <laughs> no, she's got the like smoking stain on her teeth, and, <laughs> and plus we see her also as another character, and she's probably yeah thirty or like late twenties. Oh, you know what? Credit to her. She was only 26 when the movie came out. Well, she smoked a lot. <laughs> I love how we just like, oh, no, she didn't look that young. Like, oh, she's 26. Uh, fair she enough. looked good in um in Demon Seed. Yeah, well, she was, I mean, I, I assume she was like 40 in that, but she's she was probably only... Well, she was getting close to 40. Yeah, that was like 40. That was like 78, so yeah, she was getting close to 40. Yeah. Uh, because she was born in 1940, so and she gets very naked in that movie. She, she does, <laughs> yes, multiple times. Uh, it's a really good a, film. <laughs> this is a pre Bush era uh, cinema, yes. Although, that said, this is like a, a British movie, uh, directed by a Frenchman, so I'm not really sure if those rules apply <laughs> in the oh, same you way. Mean that... The Hays Code, my yeah, other ha- expects. <laughs> oh, yes, the Hays Code. <laughs> Tara knows the Hays Code, she knows asbestos, and she now knows That's Fahrenheit 451 the book. Three things. <laughs> yeah, it's been a really big week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, no. But yeah, anyway, the scene I was trying to build up to, we ended up talking about the, uh, the secret library for like ages, uh, is the woman decides, because they, they basically pour what's, I think, supposed to be like, you know, gasoline or something all over the, the books that are in the, the main foyer of this Kerosene. house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. They're like saying, no, you have to come out, you have to come out, uh, we're going to burn everything. And the woman decides to be a martyr instead and lights a match herself and mm-hmm. sets it on fire. Uh, obviously, the, you know, the effect of her standing surrounded by fire is a little bit off because, it, you know, it's the 60s. But um, it's a pretty dark scene, though, when you really think about it and you think about what he's witnessing here and that she's willing to kind of die with this. Uh, it's really notable. I yeah. Think. I, I mean, I. I read it in the trivia, but I didn't quite catch it. One of the books that they show is like Joan of Arc, who also mm. burned for her, I don't want to say sins, but um, for what she believed in. Was a bit of a martyr herself. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, recognizable books, like, you know, that are focused on or, or mentioned at, at various points. I, it is a really dark scene. I didn't feel like I get. I got the emotional impact that I was hoping for from it. No. And it, I, that might've been just the fault of the film in general. Like a lot of the scenes kind of felt. No, that I, I, I agree. I think this is the, this is the one that's been the most telling though, because I feel like I get why it isn't being emotional up until this point. If it's really going with the idea that he doesn't really feel much emotion, mm-hmm. but this moment though, should be the one that kind of breaks through. And I hate to, I hate to bring up equilibrium and sort of say, Hey, here's a moment that equilibrium does this quite well. And now, I want to make this very clear. I have not seen Equilibrium since I was in my teens. It might be a complete mess and not hold up. Yeah, I can't remember. But, I think the only time I watched it was I was I think I was a little bit inebriated. And so I was like, you should watch this movie. And then <laughs> like I remember it was okay, but I don't remember it being great. Sure. Yeah. I, I maybe we should do like Equilibrium soonish. Maybe we'll maybe that'll be like a We have no there's no room for it. I know, yeah, the next Is it early two thousands? No, it's not. It's like it's not early 2000s, is it? Yes, yes, it isn't Okay, well, maybe we can put it on our <laughs> yeah our watch list for that. Yeah. Uh, 
But anyway, the point I was trying to get to though is that she, in that movie, there's a moment where he feels emotion for the first time, and I distinctly remember, at least, or at least I, I, my memory of it is him like ripping off like, uh, like the blind and seeing sunshine at of dawn through the rain for the first time, and he's like, you know, basically almost crying from seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like this moment here, where he's watching this woman sacrifice for what she loves, because this is what she's willing to die for. This feels like. Yeah, this is where the music should have swelled up. This is where we should have seen a tear in his eye. You know, we should have really felt the the weight of this moment. And as it is, it's kind of stoic. <laughs> it's just kind of like this is happening. Yeah, uh, it's not. It's not really what I wanted from the scene, and I think it's. It's just a little. It's just a little emotionless, and I think I could have used some music swelling also, and maybe some. Like, you know, Montague does acknowledge it in the next scene when he's with the his wife's friends. And, you know, he, he does show more, more emotion there. And I do like that scene. Um, but it's, yeah, the fire effects, you know, they can't really show a woman on fire. So they, they do the best they can, but it it doesn't really come off very well. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's, it's just lacking in the, um, the, the impact that it should have. Yep. Uh, it's a bummer. Uh, and it's not till after this that, you know, she, she basically gives him an ultimatum, Linda, that is, uh, you know, either her or the books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just kind of like, I don't really know. And he just goes off to work. <laughs> As if it's not, it, it, it doesn't sound like he's just been given this big, like, dramatic ultimatum from his wife that she's going to leave him. He's just kind of like, oh, I don't know. I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah, they really do feel like they do a good job with their relationship, making it seem like they're two strangers living in the same house, you know? It's yeah. Like, he asked her at one point, you know, what, when did we meet? Where did we meet? And neither of them can remember, like, how they met. Mm. <laughs> and they've just, like, they have their routines that they do every day, and they've be- just become so distant. They have, like, one moment where they are in bed together, and it's like, okay, they still have something there. But who knows? Maybe they're just doing that just to keep, because it's routine. Yeah. I don't know. Something to fight boredom more than <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Uh, but of course, one of the big things happens is that Clarice eventually, like her house is raided, her uncle's uh, taken, but she's escaped. And this sends uh, Montag on, on the hunt for her. He sneaks into his captain's office looking for proof of where she is. Um, eventually finds her because uh, she's going back to her house again to find an item. Because then this is where we learn about the book people. She tells him about. This this wonderful place where people become books. They memorize books, and then the books can never be taken away because now people have recited them and they've got them in their heads, and they can sort of just tell you the book whenever they want. And she she goes off to the, this place, and he at this point is when his wife has put the you know ride him out, put put the the suggestion box uh, note in, so. He goes back to the thing, and he actually does say to his captain that he's, he's quitting, he can't be this anymore. Like, he, he wants to be done. And his captain's like, okay, how about you do this one last job for us, and then you can, you know, do whatever you want afterwards. But of course, the twist is here. Not for us, really. We kind of see it coming, I think, because you know, we, we get all the build-up of the wife putting in the note and all that. But they go to his house, and mm-hmm. they, they start finding things, uh, and he goes on the run. And this is what leads to the, 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 the on-the-run sequence, going through the water, uh, hiding in the boat from the, the stupid jetpacks. This is 
it's probably the, the worst moment in the movie for me because I just I saw these like this really badly like superimposed like four people standing really straight. I like I like the first the first uh, shot of them though is that they're just like these little etchings in yeah. the in the actual film. You're like, what the hell is that back there? It's it's just like the Langoliers are showing up. Like, yeah, and then it shows. And then it does a quick cut, and it's a zoom in on the four jetpacks. Like, oh, Peter's gonna hate this. He <laughs> hates jetpacks. <laughs> I mean, they can work in the right context. I did laugh. It was it was super goofy. But I think this and <laughs> and I could pull it a different way. But I also think the jetpacks and Minority Report were also not that good. Uh, but, I like them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. But no, he goes on the run and he basically eventually finds uh, the book people, uh, including the guy from the start of the movie, which was a nice touch, I thought. Uh, yeah, still eating that apple. Yeah. Yeah, I love how when he's <laughs> on the run at the start thing. of the movie, because he, 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 he picked up an apple when he got the phone call. And when you see him running out the, the, the building, he's still got the apple in his hand and he's still eating it. And I'm like, yeah. really? Do you, you think the apple <laughs> being consumed is kind of your high he priority? That, he needs those carbs for running. All right. <laughs> Use carbo there real quick. We'll still see. Uh, but yeah, so we get this kind of epilogue section. We mentioned, obviously, the, the news thing and them faking the, the victory mm-hmm. of killing him. But, you know, he meets Clarice and he meets all these people who go by the names of the books that they are. And we meet, you know, Pride and Prejudice, who are twin brothers. Uh, they do volume one and two separately. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. Uh, and, you know, we meet all these people. Um, and this is kind of one of the things I said earlier on in the spoiler-free section that I, I'll sort of bring back up here is I think this ending works really well as an allegory. Like, the, the idea of representing that we sort of ideas and art, mm-hmm. you know, whatever way you want to look at it, you know, that's something that we do sort of pass down and your human beings spread it ourselves. Ultimately, art comes from us, so it can come from us again. It's not just gone because the pages have been burned. And it's kind of a sweet message and all that. Uh as an actual ending, just from a narrative point of view of the movie, though, it's kind of a weird ending where he finds this cult of people who just learn books. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. you know, it, it feels kind of odd as like a just... Well, it's, yeah, it's the importance of preservation and yeah. he's agreed that this is the right thing to do and, and takes on the book of Edgar Allan Poe's writings. Yeah. It's a literal ending. It's a bit weird and I don't want to say unsatisfying, but it, it doesn't, that's like, I don't know. Something feels off about it from like a, a plot perspective, but I do like the message of it. I like mm-hmm. the what it's saying and the idea that like there's one old guy who's dying, so he's actually teaching the book that he has to like uh, not his son, but like a, young, a younger person. Yeah. And he's teaching, he's reciting the book to him, so he can be the new version of that book. And I'm like, okay, I like the message this is giving. I like all this idea, uh, but it's kind of a weird, like, like a weird cult. This was an interesting idea on paper. I'm not so sure it necessarily functions as like a like a good ending to a movie, per yeah. se. The ending in the book is a lot more nuclear. Nuclear, you say? <laughs> yeah. Is it is it World but War Four? Is that people is... to a boy and his dog? <laughs> it could be, but there is still like the 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 group of people that who are like former professors or philosophers themselves that yeah they do everybody is uh, assigned a book or if there's one that they already have or, or love like they and, and that becomes who they are cool right. as a way of preservation and following the law which i guess doesn't matter at this point since or in the book because uh 
Yeah, the nuclear thing that happens. <laughs> okay. It's, I, it, yeah, it's, it's actually... It, the book is... Regardless of what my rating is for the film, I, I'm telling you, the book's a 10. Like, all right, I'll read it. I was not expecting one of the differences to be... Oh, by the way, the book ended with a nuke going off. <laughs> uh, I, I did not expect that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how we get, like... I don't want to spoil anymore, but yeah, it's good. Okay, okay. Really, really good. Um, and, is there build up to why those nukes been set off? Like, is that yeah. like a, a running theme in the movie? Uh, in the movie? Oh, sorry, uh, the movie. Sorry, the book. I mean the book. <laughs> is yeah, that people like... just kind of mention casually that there's a war that would be starting soon, and like okay. one of the wives is like talks about how her husband's in the war, but nobody ever dies that way, so it's not a big deal. Or like they've mm. already had other like there's been two like world wars since uh, in the past like six years or something but nobody acknowledges it because where they are uh, they still have food all the food they want and they still have all the entertainment they want and you know it's being hidden from them so they don't really care their lives that, haven't changed at all that's actually something that feels like it's dated a little bit in the sense mm-hmm. that you know, a lot of people look at Vietnam as this thing where that was the first time a war was televised and we could mm. see the images in the way that we could, and it made the public have an opinion on it in a way that wasn't just, oh, let's support the country. It was very much, oh, there's an anti, you know, Vietnam War like sentiment. There's a big uprising against it. Yeah, but that's so how I you think, get John Rambo. You so be I think it's interesting that, you know, a decade, uh, well, I mean, the book was written in the 50s, so two decades even. Well, no, actually, because Vietnam started. Anyway, the, the point I'm making is, like it's kind of almost like Ray Barbary was actually doing a really good job of looking ahead and sort of seeing this idea that right now, like wars could be hidden. Like you know, back when it was just the mm-hmm. wireless and people were listening on the radio, like it could be so like massaged for mm-hmm. the for the listening audience. Where once you've got images, unless you're just like bat- you know, not showing them, like once you're seeing these things, and because there's competition between news networks and stuff, typically they always you know do get out there. Uh, and and for other reasons too. I mean, cynically, you know, violence, you know, equals ratings. But, uh, yep. But you know, I, I do think it's kind of a poignant idea that the movie just briefly, like, because in that scene with the wives, there's a mention of where the husband is, and that's it. That is all you get. I think related mm-hmm. to that whole movie, at least as far as I I noticed. That scene is one. pretty much taken exactly from the, the like from the lines of the book too and i think Mm. maybe that's why that's in there and it's not in anything else just because that scene is very faithful to it but yeah it's really not mentioned anywhere maybe the news caster like brings it up but i I don't really remember maybe yeah it just in like a headline but then goes into something else so quickly that nobody really notices including us (laughs) yeah but if it's there i'm not sure Um, yeah it, it does feel like it's maybe avoiding delving into a couple of the ideas that it maybe should have and also kind of maybe holding too ba- too far back on the emotion especially once he actually gets more emotional throughout mm-hmm. the film like i really could have felt that way more and felt his plight for you know wanting to to break out of the the system well we know there's at least one more version of this that came out on hbo i haven't seen it um i don't think the trailers looked very good but maybe you know now that i'm an expert <laughs> I'll enjoy it. Maybe. I mean, it's something we should probably do at some point. Uh, this is uh, Michael B. Jordan and uh, Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon who are in it. Uh, the thing is, though, is that I never heard anyone talk about it after it came out, which implies that it was at, at, at best forgettable. 
<laughs> if not bad. So yeah, probably. Well, it's an HBO movie too. So and and those just don't. It, it's not like it's a big theatrical release. Like you have mm. to have HBO and you have to be willing to watch an HBO produced film, like a movie that you haven't heard about, except if you're already watching HBO. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe maybe there just isn't that much word word of mouth on it. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, but that education was pretty good, and I don't hear anything about that now either. I've just never heard anyone talk about it. Like, I remember the trailer coming out. I remember talking about it being a thing. Yeah. But I, and it's I have, Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon. Those are pretty big names. Yeah, but I have not. Which is, again, why I think if it was good, people would have spread it around. That people would have talked about, hey, that new Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon movie is really good. And yeah. no one ever talked about it uh, well, afterwards. I, I mean, we're definitely going to get more of our future world that we want to see. Maybe uh, in the trailer didn't look that futuristic to me from what I remember, but... Maybe uh, the old future. Oh, maybe. Maybe they go with the retro future thing. Because, um, for, for the record, I, I want to make it clear that I am down with retro future. I really am. Oh, definitely. I, I just didn't feel that this really even tried that. <laughs> like No. I don't think so either. Yeah, it, it just feels like it's just not... It, it's almost like, you know, Truffaut's interested in the themes and wants to make mm-hmm. his version of the story. But he was not, it doesn't seem like he's really that interested. Because... Well, some of the things we've talked about, okay, limitation of effects or limitation of the time or budget, but some of it's just, no, this is a choice. He just didn't want to you know, make it more of a futuristic feeling movie. He, he wanted it to feel more normal in present day. Uh, yeah, I mean, even even Ed Wood had a film that ended in a nuclear explosion. Like You can do it, Truffaut. Tampered in God's domain. <sighs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they had stock footage of a nuclear explosion they could have done. <laughs> oh, probably. I, I have, I have no doubt. Um, that yeah. would add some impact, huh? So I, I don't think it's worth the watch. I, I don't want this to come across that negative because I think it's actually a pretty decent movie. It's just yeah. not. It's just not a great movie. It's it's not because you know sometimes when you bring up sci-fi movies from the sixties, seventies, whatever, you feel like we've, we've had some real gems, yeah. Yeah, the ones you bring up tend to be the classics, and when you I get hate. to stuff like <laughs> yeah, that or Alien or or whatever, like you, you you tend to get to that stuff that there's so much like stuff behind it. Whereas this kind of feels a, a bit more. And Truffaut's a director, obviously, is a, is a big name. He's someone who's you know there's Criterion editions of some of his movies and whatnot. I have not really seen anything that he's done outside of this, I don't think, unless I'm forgetting something. I might have watched something in French class. We watched a lot of films, but I don't remember. Yeah. Um, he was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I did not know that. Oh, uh, I know who he is then. Yeah. Do you? Isn't he the, the French-speaking guy? The oh, I guess. Right? <laughs> well... I feel like you're assuming this because he had a he was is French. It, isn't he but, also like the one in the Jean-Luc Godard films? Like um, uh, the one that does like the Bogart thing? Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's him, it's him. It's the guy, it's the, it's the, you're right. I'm looking at his face now. It's him from Close Encounters. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I know his name from. Yes, but no, he's, he's you know, he's a, he's an acclaimed director who directed movies for, you know, decades. So, uh, yeah, I, Obviously, I know him more as an actor, especially because he was in a Spielberg film, but yeah, he's but a great one, actor. The one that I've heard of is 400 Blows. I've never seen it, but it's the one that uh, I've seen brought up a lot of Criterion. I've done several editions of it. Uh, so, yeah. So, but 
I, I, I do. I, it's not. That's the other thing I think I want to make clear is that I don't think it's purely directed either. I think there's a really clear directorial style to it. Mm-hmm. It it just feels like it's not ashamed of its science fiction sort of origin, but like the director clearly just wants to make it more into his film in a way that doesn't necessarily benefit all the themes that it's playing with. Right. I guess would be how I'd say it. Uh, so. Uh, I guess that's what uh, I guess we'll rate the movie is what we're at though uh, how, how would you rate the film? yeah I don't hate the film uh, either I think there's I think the, the themes that are there are, are, are pretty good and I really did like watching um, Julie Christie as the wife character and her, like her role in society and well her her representation of like the status quo and what is what what people just do uh, i thought she was good in it and i i do i just i do still genuinely like the film i just don't think it's i don't think it's the best version of what it could have been even at the time it was made and you know i did read the book and the book is like truly incredible so it's there's a lot that I wish that I could have seen on film from here. And uh, I'm going to give it a six. A six. You know, I'd put out, with the, when this review was out, I'd put out a little thing saying, hey, if you want a drinking game, take a shot every time Tara mentions that she's read the book. Um, but I don't want to kill anyone. But I read it for this <laughs> review. <laughs> <laughs> we agreed, and we agreed that I would be the one to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we talked about it okay i don't remember this, this was since we're we made a we made a, a the the vote on what book people on a film based on a book that one of us should probably read the book and i volunteered no matter what the winner would be oh okay i don't remember <laughs> that I, I all i remember is you saying can we swap recordings because i'm reading the book and i won't be done in time for this day <laughs> yes i did buy it the day before <laughs> Yes. We were supposed to record. Yes, and you knew that we were going to be doing this. You won the vote for at least three weeks before. <laughs> hey, I still did it. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, props for props are due. Uh, my rating of the movie... Uh, mm, I'll... I'll go a nudge higher, I think, and go with a 6.5. I, I think it's... You know, it, it's got a lot of merit, and I do think that there's... You know, stuff there is a little bit slow at times. I think definitely in the middle, you, I think you can feel it sagging a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's you know, it's one over fifty two. You know, as it is, it could probably be trimmed down a bit. I think, but there's a lot there to like. There's a lot of there's a lot there I, I, where I do think the kind of reserve stoic approach to some of the material does work quite well. I just think that it needed to kind of explode with more emotion as it went and make me really care about the character. Because I think even by the end of the film, I don't know if I ever really cared about Montag. Like, I don't know if I ever actually started rooting for him because he was starting to feel things. It felt more like, uh, almost like I was like a, like a third party observer, just kind of like witnessing something play out as opposed to actually caring about the people in it. Uh, which is maybe what it's lacking. So, 6.5. 6.5? I have one more question for you. Okay. What's your book? My book? Oh, what, what, what book are you? 
that I'd learned and uh the book that you feel should be preserved and you will hold on to and you would volunteer to be the book. I don't have a good answer for this. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, what was what's your book? You do you have one at the ready? Yeah, I thought about it. Okay. Go on then. I think I think the book that that I enjoyed talking about the most when I took like literature classes was Paradise Lost by John Milton. And mm. I it's kind of a cliche response because I'm everybody loves Milton and <laughs> like I'm sure I wouldn't be the first one to volunteer for it, but I like I truly love that book. That book moved me, but it, only because I took it in a class where, you know, I had a teacher who, even though it's written in English, I still needed help. You know, it's, it is all poetry. So it took, a, it, you know, it takes a lot of um, effort and critical thinking to see what's going on in it. But I, I, I really did love that experience. And that would be the book I think I would preserve, even though I'm not a religious person. And it's a very religious book. Interesting. Uh, I don't know, 1,001 movies to see before you die. I think that's my... Uh... <laughs> Bradbury would be so sad. <laughs> so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Look, film's my uh, my first medium of choice, okay? Uh, yeah. I, so not I, Dracula? I mean, I do love Dracula. Uh, okay. And it may be my favorite book, honestly, if I, th- if I think about it. Uh, <laughs> it's not something I've given a lot of thought to. Um, well, we know it's not The Shining. Well, I've not actually read The Shining, <laughs> to be fair. Um, I've I've tried reading multiple Stephen King books and read like a chapter or two, and but you know what, I'm good. <laughs> They're fine, but I'm good. And usually, the beginning of the books are like the only part that gets it, like I get into. Which is why I shouldn't. Even read though it anymore. takes a lot, like because it's all like it, half the book is just establishing characters, and then nothing happens until like the second half, for what I've read anyway. Except for shorter stories like Shawshank Redemption, it's like it's like fifty pages, <laughs> super easy to read. So there you go. That's Fahrenheit four five one. If you've made it this far, I, I I'll be honest. When I was watching this, I thought oh, maybe this will be a short one. This will only be an hour. This this is over an hour forty now. Uh, Tara, <laughs> um, the words. If you made it this far in the review, that's the that's the bit I'm at here. Uh, if you made it this far in the review, then put the word. Why not just tell us what book you are? Oh, very fancy. Okay, Mm-mm. fine, go with that. Tell us what book you are. Yes, tell us what book you are if you made it this far in the review. Um, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> what was that head bob? <laughs> well, because well, I, I got sidelined with this question that I had not prepared for, and <laughs> now all the commenters can be hit with the same thing. Yeah. All right, Tara needs to pose for the thumbnail, so here we go. Three, two, one... fair enough Uh, I never said pose but that'll do (laughs) so there you go Uh, that is that I will tell you what's coming next time and next time is actually kind of a biggie Uh, to celebrate both the anniversary which is I mean we're a month late for the anniversary but still it's 10 years Uh, and to also kind of celebrate a new film that we should hopefully be doing kinda soon we'll see assuming things don't change again and 
it's physically possible and lots of other things to go to play. But if I can drive out of state to see it. <laughs> uh Inception is what we're gonna do next week. So we're doing a contemporary classic. Is that even a bit of an oxymoron, I suppose? But, <laughs> but hey, ten years old already. I can't believe it's ten years old. Uh time is flying. But uh yeah, so that's what's cool. I've only seen it once. Really? Yeah, that should yeah. be interesting. I saw it once in the theater. Well, we're going to watch Inception. We'll talk about that next week. So sh- this should be a big episode. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking for forward to it. It's gonna be a lot of Nolan gushing. <laughs> I make no promises one way or the other. <laughs> I don't know how many times I'm gonna bring up Dunkirk, but it'll be plenty. Probably more times than you brought up reading the book this week. Uh, how so- dare you! <laughs> I implore people to check out that Dracula review. I have a book. I have a book. I am the king of the woods. I have a book. <laughs> See, people like you are the reason we're going to end up in this future. <laughs> you know what? Just freaking burn the books. We no, have no, movies. No, no, no. <laughs> That's not what I'm making fun of. I'm making fun of you bringing it up. <laughs> not that you read how the book. Am I not, how am I supposed to not bring it up? I read it for the for this. <laughs> Because it's funny to make fun of you, that's okay. I'm just enjoying myself. Don't think about it too much. I hate you. (laughs) Ah, dear. (laughs) Okay, uh, that has been the Atomic Star Experiment. What do I usually tell you to do now? Oh, like! Please like and subscribe. Liking is super important. And helps us find new audience members. Uh, it is a nice, simple, free way to support us. And uh, of course, we mentioned earlier patreon.com slash TV if you want to give us a little bit of money. You can do that too and help keep all the content coming. Uh, also, get us on Twitter at the Ace Podcast. Uh, Tara, would you like to recommend any other Mailfuzz TV content that people could check out? Uh, check out Screams After Midnight. I don't think I ever promote that. I talk sure. about it during the Patreon, but. Uh, Screams After Midnight is the kind of the like sister show to the Ace. It's where Peter sits with Tim and talks about horror movies, and they tend to all be very good horror movies. So check that out. Yeah. All horror movies are great, right? Never any bad horror films. Yeah, I guess we'll wrap it up here then. So this has been the Atomic Sort of Experiment. Uh, thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep watching science fiction guys and computer that's Elsa burn baby burn disco inferno